It's my habit when I come in the building on a weekday or a Sunday, I come in and unlock my office and then I take my church keys off my key ring and put them in my pocket and lay my house keys and my car keys on my desk so I don't have that pocket full of keys to walk around with all day long. And I did that a few Sundays ago and then I went and started my Sunday morning routine and about 7.10 I went out the main entrance to unlock the doors with my key fob only to realize just as the door closed that I didn't have these keys, I had these keys in my pocket which unfortunately do not unlock the front door of the church. And I realized at that moment that no other door was unlocked yet either. And so I was completely at 7.10 a.m. locked out of the church on a Sunday morning. What I didn't know is that Jerry and I usually ride together. We didn't that day and he had come around the building as I was walking through. So he was actually inside the building. I was outside and I didn't know it. So I just had to stand there like a dummy for about 15 minutes waiting on someone to come make coffee on a Sunday morning for lack of something so simple, the keys. And, and you know, sometimes it feels like in life, in a, in a metaphorical way, that we're missing the keys. We're missing something important that, even though it seems small, would open some doors to us. And that's true in relationships. Maybe you look back on your life and you go, I can see sort of a trail of destruction. And while it's not all my fault, I'm willing to take ownership of what I've done wrong. And there's plenty. And it almost feels like other people have the keys to have healthy relationships. And I'm missing those keys. Like I wasn't there the day they were handing them out. And somehow I missed them. And you're wondering how you can have healthy relationships like other people seem to have. The good news is those keys are accessible to all of us. In fact, they're, they're right here in God's Word. What we find about Scripture is God is certainly very concerned about our relationship with Him. He wants that to be a healthy relationship. But God also wants our relationships with others to be healthy as well. And so we see scripture filled with references and instruction on how we can have healthy relationships with our families, with the people we work with, with our friends, certainly in the community of faith, in the church. We see so many references, Old and New Testament, that tell us this is how to have healthy relationships. God was concerned that we would have that in part because like last week we talked about we are created in the image of God and we are called to bear God's image to the people around us. So if we're going to do that, it's going to be in the context of healthy relationships. So God gives us lots of instruction on that. Now we're going to focus in for the next five weeks in this series I'm calling Keys to Healthy Relationships on two chapters that talk a good bit about relationships, Ephesians 4 and 5. We'll get there in a few minutes, but they help us understand some of the keys to healthy relationships. And we'll be talking about that in our life groups as well. Now, in our relationships, one of the things that we find is that, that honesty, we know is super important, okay, we don't have to be told that, but sometimes it's really difficult to be honest. Like most of the time it's easy, just lay out the facts, here they are. But then there are some times when we really struggle to tell the truth for lots of different reasons. One of them might be that someone asks us something about them, okay? They ask us for the truth about them, and the truth about them might be uncomfortable. 
And we're really worried that if we speak the truth that we know about this person to that person, it's going to hurt. And so we're really tempted to back off from the truth, right? We're really tempted to tell a half-truth that softens it a lot but doesn't give the full picture. Or we might even be tempted just to, to lie to that person. I remember years ago, there was a, there was a family in our church, different church, a long time before here, and, and there, this family was really struggling like with the rest of the church. There was a real problem there. And one of the members of that family came to me and said, is this how people see my family? And then she laid it out. And like, I didn't want to say, well, yeah, that's how they see your family, but, but it was the truth. And I was really tempted to soft pedal, backtrack, tell a half truth, or just deny it because I really didn't want to hurt her. But she had asked me the question. She had asked for the truth. But it was hard to tell the truth. Sometimes it's difficult because the person asks about the truth about themselves. Sometimes, sometimes we don't want to tell people the truth about us, right? There's something about me that I'm not proud of. Something I've done, something I've said, something that's just true about me. Someone asks about it and I'm left with a decision. Am I going to tell the truth? Because if I tell the truth, it's going to make me look bad. And I don't really want people to look at me in that light. So I can just lie about it. I can backpedal. I can tell part of the truth. I'm misleading, but I'm laying a little bit of it out there. We're tempted not to tell the truth. We're tempted not to be honest. So what do we do in those settings when the truth really is difficult? When it might hurt someone, when it might make us look bad, or it's just a truth we don't really want to get into. What do we do in those moments? Well, Paul actually talks about that in Ephesians chapter 4. Now, as we get into this, Ephesians is set up a little bit like some of Paul's other letters. It is a letter, but what we find is that Ephesians is a little different than some letters. Because Paul often greets a lot of people. We don't see very much of that. He seems to have a relationship with the church he's writing to. It doesn't feel as relational as some letters. Some people have said that the book of Ephesians is more of a handbook for church life than it is a personal letter. And in fact, some of our copies of this book, and go back to the ancient world, were directed toward other churches, but most of them to Ephesians. So probably to Ephesians first, and then they shared it with other churches because it's very general. And what Paul does in the first three chapters, chapters one through three, is, okay, if we're thinking about church life, if this is a handbook for church life, here's what Christians, the church, should believe, All right? And then chapters four through six, church life, what it means to live as a Christian, this is how you take that, what you believe, and put it into action. This is how you live it out. So we're parked in chapters 4 and 5 because in this, these chapters, Paul deals with relationships. And what we find is all the way through the rest of this book, Paul is talking about relationships, sometimes very specifically. Here's how you treat your spouse. Here's how you treat your kids. Okay, So he dealt with that, but then there's some general instruction. That's what we're going to look at more. How do you deal with people? Now, the way Paul lays it out is, Okay, he's writing to the Ephesians or lots of early Christians. And he says, many of you are first generation Christians, right? Your parents weren't Christians. You either came from sort of a, a Jewish background where you knew who God was, knew the commands, 
or you came from a Gentile background, all right, and you don't have any clue about any of that stuff, and you were just living for whoever, maybe the gods, maybe the emperor, could be anything, right? And he's saying, okay, you lived a life before you became a Christian, you decided to follow Jesus, what does that look like? What's going to change? How is that life different from what you lived before? He introduces that thought, Ephesians 4, verse 1. As a prisoner from the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And the rest of this book is based on that line. Okay, what does it look like to live according to the calling you've received? What's your calling? Jews, Gentiles, whoever you are, come follow Jesus because Jesus is the Son of God. He's come to proclaim the kingdom of God. He wants to restore you to what God intended you to be. That's your calling. Now, live it out. What does that look like? Well, a lot of that has to do with how I relate to other people. And part of that we find, if we skip down several verses, verse 25 of Ephesians 4 says this, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Okay, two different groups we talked about. You've got people who were Jews who became a Christian, people who were Gentiles who became Christians. The people who were Jews would have related to this verse because part of it actually quotes one of the Old Testament prophets a prophet named Zechariah. Now what's interesting about that is Zechariah was one of the last of the Old Testament prophets. He preached to the people at the end of Old Testament history. They're in exile. They sinned against God. They go off, okay? And while they're in exile, Zechariah says, we're going to go back to the promised land. We're going to have to rebuild, rethink what does it mean to be God's people. One of the things it means is speak the truth. Because we're the community of God. We're his people, okay? And the only way for us to work together in the land when we go back, we're going to be completely dependent on each other, is to speak truth. Now, in a very similar way, all these Christians who are beginning to gather together are dependent on one another. They're figuring out what it means to be God's people in a new context. And Paul says one of the things you do is you put off falsehood, that tendency to hide truths that we don't like to talk about that are uncomfortable for us or someone else, and we speak the truth. And he gives us a reason. For we are all members of one body. Now, if you're carrying a different translation from me, some of them say it like this, and this is more literal. For we are members of each other. Paul's saying... We're attached. We're connected. We're part of one body. And, you know, we might try to lie to ourselves, and sometimes we fool ourselves for a minute, but we can usually figure it out. I'm not being honest with myself about this. And in the same way, we're attached to one another. Okay? We're part of the same body. We, we can't lie to ourselves. And this really speaks to how we understand church membership, right? In our culture, Western culture, church membership is a little, about, a little bit like joining a civic organization, like you sign your name on a roll or you sign a, a covenant with the rest of the people, and, and now you're in the database, you're on the roll, you're a member, you pay your dues, okay. And we think of church membership a little bit like that too. I get the box checked, I'm a member, I can vote in the congregational meeting, I'm in the database, and it's marked that I'm a member, I'm a member. I don't think Paul would have understood that 
at all. I think he would have said, what are you talking about? Being a member of the church means you are a member of each other. You are connected to one another. It's like a body. The fingers are connected to the hand, the hand to the arm. We are all connected. And so what happens to one part of the body happens to the rest of it. And what one part of the body does affects the rest of the body. We are connected to each other. And Paul says, since we're connected, since we are members of each other, we've got to speak the truth to one another. So he says, be honest in your words. But if we skip down a couple verses, what we find is that he also says we need to be honest in our actions. Verse 28. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Now, it seems a little like unexpected for us to think that there were people who were coming into the church who were deciding to follow Jesus who were known as the people like, if you see them in Kroger, you better check their pockets because there's no telling what they're toting out of there, right? Or people you just don't want to do business with because they're so dishonest in their business dealings, you know you're going to get cheated if you try to do some kind of deal with them. And so you stay away. These people were walking in, they were seeing what was going on with Jesus, and they're saying, you know what? I need to live a different life. This is attractive to me. I want to follow this Jesus. And so they were. And Paul is saying, listen, you used to live one life. You're a thief. You're dishonest. Now that you're a follower of Jesus, this is what it looks like. You get a job. You work hard. Honest work. And you do it not just to support yourself, but so that you can be generous with others. Now think about that. Think about how that looks to the rest of the world. When, when they know, every small town, this is a guy you don't want to do business with because you're always going to end on the wrong end of the deal. Okay? And now this person is working hard, honest work, and what we see them doing is giving to people in need. Someone's house burns down. Someone is struck blind. They can't work anymore. That person that used to seem like they were taking advantage of everybody else is now giving to those who are in need. What does that say about how Jesus changes lives? The community of faith was changing people through the power of Jesus. Now, if we look at these passages about being honest with our words, honest with our, our business dealings, our lives, our way of life, I think part of what Paul is getting at is this. Trust makes community possible. Okay? Trust makes community possible. So we've got to back up a minute to, to really get at that. Part of what Paul is dealing with is this new life that you've got, it's in community. Okay, it's not, hey, we're not all, you know, independent agents for God, right? That's not the way this works. We do this together. We're members of each other. We're a community of faith, so we can think about ourselves as a body or think about ourselves as a community. And while we may have community with family or friends, people we've known a long time, we have community that is special in the church. We are sharing life. We're doing this together because of our common faith. And if we want community, it's not going to happen without trust. And we can't have trust unless we're telling the truth. I mean, it is sometimes hard to speak the truth. But what happens 
when we start being dishonest? Well, number one, we've got to remember what dishonest statement we said so that we can back it up later and probably build more lies on that. And what happens when a person finds out we have not been honest? Then trust is broken and it makes it very difficult to have healthy relationships or community. Think about the early church as well. Okay, you got a group of people, they decide to follow Jesus, what happens? Well, some of them would face real persecution, like some people are going to be arrested, some are going to be killed. That's more the exception in this first century era, but it did happen. What was more common was, okay, I decide I'm going to become a Christian, and then my family hears about it, and they say, he's gone off the deep end. Following this Jesus guy, this religious teacher, I'm not going to have anything to do with him because he's left the faith. He's left our Jewish background. He's left our background of worshiping the emperor or all of our gods. I'm not going to have anything to do with him. He's not invited to family gatherings. Or I'm not going to do business with him anymore. People who used to buy the stuff that I make or the, the food that I grow not going to have anything to do with me anymore. They're not going to let me purchase from them. And so Christians began to be isolated in some ways, even in their own towns. So suddenly the church is their community. And they feel as though everyone else is against them because in many ways they were. And so they're dependent on one another. And if they're dependent on one another, they got to be honest because what kind of community are they going to have without honesty. And only trust made the kind of community they needed possible. Trust makes community possible. So how does that speak to us when we're faced with telling a truth that we really don't want to tell? Well, I mean, we know that it is, in the end, the best thing, right? I mean, we know we don't want to have to tell lies. We know we don't have to tell more lies to cover the first lies. We know we really don't want to deal with someone knowing that we have misled them and the breaking of trust that's part of that. So what do we do? Well, first of all, I think we follow the example of God. I mean, there are times in Scripture when God tells very difficult truths because they're true. It's not what people wanted to hear. It's not what anybody wanted to hear. We have prophets in the Old Testament. They love the people of God. I mean, that, this is their people. They, they feel like a shepherd over lost sheep. And God says, you've got to deliver this message of judgment. And they don't want to do it. And God says, do it anyway. Because they need to hear the truth. Because they're my people. And so in the same way, we are sometimes called to tell truths that we'd just as soon not tell because we're developing trust. And even hard truths can help us develop trust because someone has been brave enough to speak the truth. But we also need to take it in the context of a verse that we also see in this passage, in this chapter, verse 15 Paul's still contrasting that life before with the life now. Instead, speaking the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So if we want to be the healthy body of Christ, that we're members of each other, we speak the truth in love. Now sometimes what it feels like speaking the truth in love is like, Hold him back. 
because I don't want to hurt their feelings. I don't want to tell them something that's going to be painful. But that's not speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love says, I'm going to do this in the most encouraging way I can, in the way that builds this person up the most, but I'm going to speak the truth to them. And I'm going to speak it in such a way that they know, even though this is hard to hear, like, I'm here and I'm going to be with you through this. Okay, this is the truth, and I'm laying it out there, don't really want to, and I know it hurts a little bit, but I'm going to be with you as we walk through the implications of this truth. Like whatever this truth means for you and your family and this community, we're going to do it together. Sometimes that you got to speak the truth and be there to help through the consequences, the implications. Now, we've been around people. You've probably received truth from people. They don't really mind laying it out there with all the barbs, however it feels. In fact, it sort of seems like they enjoy it. But that's not speaking the truth in love. We're called to do it in a way that honors the community, honors the body, and says we can move forward with this truth being spoken. Even though it's hard, we can do this together. If we want to have real community, if we want to be the church, the body, the community of faith that God wants us to be, if we want to walk through difficult times together, the only way that happens is if we depend on each other telling the truth because truth makes that community possible. Let's pray together. God, help us not to be afraid of the truth. But help us to tell the truth in a way that honors you, expresses the same kind of love that you have for us, and helps us draw people back to you. And help us to, to be the kind of truth tellers that do that because we love you and we love the people around us so much. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.